Take that. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to take them and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. May sound familiar, the same text that we actually um, looked at, studied last week, a long text. We're breaking it into um, a couple different weeks, three weeks to be precise. I want to welcome every one of you here this morning. Thank you, Matt, and the rest of the team for leading us before the throne of grace in worship. I cannot, I cannot um, emphasize the importance of you making it out this evening at 6 o'clock p.m. for our prayer and praise service. Uh, we did this right before we uh, transitioned from the old school building, and it was a wonderful, wonderful response, just opportunity to give thanks and praise to the Lord for his unbelievable faithfulness. And he has continued, um, as always, um, and we have opportunity to gather together to pray. We will have updates as far as how we are doing financially uh, from the team, as well as opportunities for Q&A and prayer. Um, so we look forward to a wonderful, wonderful evening. Yes, I am aware that kickoff for the Eagles game is 440. I spoke to the NFL. We actually had 6 o'clock first, okay? But they don't want to move, apparently. No, I did not call them. But, you know, I was thinking about it. A thousand years from now, our praise and worship to the Lord holds weight more than a game. So let me just remind you of that. And we look forward to having everyone here this evening at 6 o'clock. <clears throat> We are in this whole subject, the book of Philippians, and it has to do with joy. And, and Philippians and joy kind of make sense. Joy in Philippians kind of makes sense. The, the trouble is this, joy in January doesn't always make sense. Uh, rejoicing in February, we have this time of the year that the, the days are short, the nights are long, it's cold, and it's dark, and these are the moments that we need to lean into and lean on the truth, the full weight of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's why this study is so important for us right now. And we're going to read, again, we read this text last week. I want to draw our attention back to it. I'm going to read all 11 verses of uh, the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3. Then we'll go before the throne of grace in prayer. And pray that the Lord speaks to us this morning. Follow along with this. Finally, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? <coughs> Father, just reading your word to us this morning, Lord, in many ways it, it seems completely sufficient that we could, we could gather our stuff and head home, knowing, Lord, that whatever, whatever we count for our own goodness and righteousness. We're reminded, Lord, through the authority of your word, it simply is not sufficient. It's not enough. We pause together this morning in your house on your day to say thank you for the work of Christ. And Lord, now we invite, I invite your spirit to, to speak to all of us that we would, we would be reminded that, that, as, as prideful, as self-absorbed people. We need the Lord kind of cast and push all of that to the side. We need to, to focus on your righteousness, your holiness, your mercy, your grace. Lord, the forgiveness that is offered for all of our sin. We want to thank you for the relationship that we can have through Jesus and how, Lord, that, that you promise to strengthen us in days like this when it is cold and dark. Father, we thank you that we have hope, eternal hope, that we glory in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Father, I would ask for help this morning. Give me clarity of thought and mind and, and speech and and we pray, Lord, that we would look at this moment as a moment that you have arrived and we've heard from you. And that we all have, have grown and matured and been strengthened, encouraged and edified, that we've been exhorted in our own faith. That we are, we are more like you today. That is our prayer. Make us more like you today. We ask this in strong and powerful and wonderful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> a theme 24 times throughout four chapters. Hear this word, kara, rejoice, have joy. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we admit at times it's challenging because 
We got pressure to everyday life and stress. People are struggling with sickness or illness or darkness or depression. And we're worried about work or kids or, or class. Last week, you remember, we kind of turned the corner. Um, and we're looking at our first kind of portion of theology to the book of Philippians, where it really allows us to focus on the, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We focus on the blood that was poured out, the life, perfect, sinless life, a life without spot and blemish. And yet he was nailed and crucified to the cross. He suffered, was tortured on our behalf so that we could be drawn into a right relationship. And we focus on the righteousness of Christ. We're aware of our unrighteousness. Thus, what we can have confidence in his work. We actually can have joy in the confidence of Christ. And so we looked at this, this text. It's kind of a, a long one. So last week we looked at what I call a, a word of warning. This week we look at what I call a word of testimony. And then next week we'll look at a word of instruction. I know it's been seven days and a lot of motion, activity. And so we go back just for a moment to review a word of warning. That's how this whole text begins. A word of warning. Three times in one verse we hear this word, look out, this phrase. It means drop everything and listen. You would think, you would think that Paul would be saying, what? look out for the mean people that are in Rome, right? Look out for those who are like beating up Christians and mistreating Christians. You'd think that Paul would say, look out for those that are throwing Christians to the lions or soaking them, dipping them in oil and, and lighting them ablaze. You'd think that Paul would say, look out for dangerous people, but he's not saying that. Paul is literally living out the instruction that the Lord Jesus Christ gave in Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do to you. Paul's not saying, watch out for dangerous people. Watch out for those that can hurt you or harm you physically. He's actually talking about those who can hurt and harm you spiritually. He says, look out for false teachers. Because what false teachers can actually lead your soul astray. Remember, through the truth of the word of God, he is always, God is always more concerned about your soul than he is your body. He's more concerned about praise and prayer time tonight than he is about an eagle's game. It's always about eternity. The eternal over the temporal. That's what Paul is reminding us about. Look out for these dogs, these evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. They're, they're Judaizers, those who are teaching a false doctrine. Faith plus works equals salvation. We don't believe that. It's faith alone in the finished work of Christ. And so in a sense, they're, 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 putting, they're, they're pushing bad teaching, bad theology. We talked last week, just as the enemy once what, and was using bad theology in first century Philippi, he's still using bad theology in 21st century Pennsylvania. So we have to look out. He gives us some helpful pieces of instruction from last week. We worship by the Spirit 
of God. The Spirit of God actually equips us and enables us to respond to his goodness and his grace. He tells us to glory in Christ Jesus, to put no confidence in the flesh, which means we never, ever, ever glory in our own goodness or rightness. We always glory. We celebrate. We boast and we brag about Christ and his work, not our own work. Whenever you think, whenever I think, even for a moment that 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 we're doing good in ourselves, be reminded of this: you'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough to make it to heaven. Number two, here in our major outline, we have what I call a word of testimony that Paul gives. He actually draws from his own personal story. You and I love stories, and we connect and relate to one another. And Paul is saying what? He's saying if anyone has a reason to boast, if anyone has a, a, a reason to brag, if anyone has a reason for confidence in his flesh, it's me. And he actually gives a list of what we call six badges that you can kind of like sew on your Boy Scout shirt. Six medals that you could, you could hang around your neck. There's a list here, circumcised at the precise time for little Jewish boys on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor as to righteousness. Under the law, he's blameless. Some of us would hear this and we're like, oh, I don't know how impressive this sounds. It almost seems a little bit hard to comprehend. Why? Because this is about a Jewish history, Jewish heritage and upbringing. And a lot of us today may not connect or resonate with that. But basically, stepping back and he's saying, guess what? Not only did I, but my mommy and my daddy and my grandparents, my great-grandparents, did everything right. Did everything right. He was born right and he lived right. Just hold the mirror of God's word up to your own life. And you can fill in your own blanks. We encourage people to tell others your story. Tell other people your testimony. And oftentimes we hear something like this. I grew up in church. Every single time the doors were open, I was there. Never missed Sunday school. I attended youth group. I put money in the offering plate. I was baptized at the right moment. I went to, to work days and I, I was there. I hear this one all the time. My granddaddy was a preacher. I can't believe how many granddaddies have been preachers. For some reason, like that's like one of the badges. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm a wreck, but my granddaddy was a Baptist preacher. And we kind of boast in our backgrounds. What's in your story? What are you banking on? Things don't go quite the way that you had planned. Things start to, to go south or lean that way. We looked last week. Is it the fact that you're young and strong and, and healthy? You've been gifted with a keen mind? Or resources or money or influence? Or sometimes you hear this, well, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I used to be really bad. Now I'm not doing too bad. 
And I've heard this phrase, sadly, way too many times. As they describe the condition of their lives, and they quickly lean in, they say, yeah, but, but I'm not as bad as she is. Or I've not done what he has done. So some, some level, we kind of try to measure our own righteousness and find those areas. And we're missing the fact, the full truth of the gospel that says all of our righteousness, all of our rightness is literally like a filthy rag before God. Just, just what do we do? We just throw it out, get rid of it, burn it. We have to be reminded that what? We all fall short of the glory of God. Confidence in the flesh, goodness, rightness, none of it, none of it is going to last for all of eternity. And we need to focus on the eternal over the temporal. I remember hearing this story years ago about James Dobson, some of you Recognize Dr. James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family. And a lot of people don't know that he, in his youthfulness, in his younger years, was a great, was a great tennis player. Played tennis in college. Went to Point Loma in San Diego. Was actually player of the year for his conference. Two consecutive years. He went on to USC for his graduate work. What's interesting is that what's, what's typical when you attain the rank of being recognized as the, as the player of the year in your conference, that your name gets engraved on a little plaque, and that plaque gets placed onto a trophy, and trophy almost two feet high was placed into a glass cabinet as you walked into the field house that everyone could see. He won it two consecutive years, which means there were two plaques with his name on it. About 15 years after he graduated from college, a friend of his came to visit him. And as he was walking towards the house, he realized that he was carrying this trophy almost two feet high. There's plaques on it, his name, player of the year. James Dobson thought, that is so nice. He said that the that the college wanted to give me this so I could have this. His friend actually said, well, no, I, I have to be honest, Jim. As I went back to school. I was visiting. I was there for a meeting. As I was walking in, he said, I noticed out of the dumpster that something was kind of shiny. And I went over and looked at it, and I found this trophy that they actually were trying to clean out for the new trophies, and they threw this one in the dumpster. I looked at it, and I saw your name on it. I thought I'd come and give it to you. Dobson oftentimes talks about the fact that if you live long enough, what does the world do with your trophies? Always. It's all, it's all tossed out. That is, that is, that is so true. All of the best, all of the greatest, eventually, whatever achievements You've accomplished and been awarded. All of it is forgotten. Who won the World Series in 1933? Uh, I can't even remember that. Who won Miss America in 1966? Who won the Super Bowl in 19... 19- 
86. We can go down through the list, a Nobel or a Pulitzer or an Oscar, a Heisman. All of it has been reduced to answers to questions on Jeopardy. Who is Andrew Sean Greer? Who is Martina Mayoke? Who is Jack Davis? Who is Caroline Frazier? You probably don't recognize any of these names because they all won a Pulitzer Prize in fiction, drama, history, and biography all the way back in 2018. And they were at the top. The top. They were recognized and rewarded, gifted, and elevated, and celebrated. And that's what the world lives for. It's what everybody lives for. You know, you know, we do exactly the same thing with our own spiritual accomplishments, our own trophy cases where we try to display them and measure our righteousness, our rightness. No, people. In light of eternity, we cannot... We cannot do that. Where, where does our boasting lead? Where does boasting lead? It leads to pride. Pride comes before a fall. T today, what we need to do, we have to hear, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church here at Big Woods, and, and God God is speaking and he is saying this very clearly. Do not have confidence in, do not boast in your flesh. But rather boast and trust in Christ. Have confidence in Christ. As I was writing and preparing this message, and I know that this is what the text says, I was struck with this question. I was struck, and this is where I just want to stop and rest for a few moments. How, this is the question I, I've been struck with, how did Paul get there? Like, like see, there was a, a major transition. Like, what happened? What, what transpired? What took place? What did Paul do? What did Christ do to go from boasting and bragging as Paul was doing in the flesh to boasting and bragging in Christ? Like, what, what, what took place here? Something big had to have happened to move from what? Having confidence in the flesh to having confidence in Christ. Something had to have happened to change from what? Saying that I have confidence, what? For confidence in the flesh. I have reason for this. To, to go to whatever I gain, I count it as loss. For the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. What happened in Paul's life? And then I was struck with this. How can that happen in my life? What took place? What changed? What can change in our own lives? So let's look at this carefully and, and, and listen closely to exactly what happened. Everything is based, what? On Christ. 
all of our, every time you write the date, it's what? A.D. It was before Christ, B.C., the life of Christ, and then everything, Anno Domino, what? In the year of our Lord. Everything is measured. Everything is measured, what? Centered on the cross, appropriately. The pinnacle of the life of Christ was, what? His crucifixion. So, so everything is based on that. Think crucifixion of Christ. Following that is the resurrection of Christ. Following that is the ascension of Jesus back into heaven, where he intercedes now at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. We know what happened after that, that the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended and the church was born. Our spiritual forefathers, our ancestors, brothers and sisters in Christ. And is any healthy church where the Holy Spirit is leading, the church literally blows up. Not in a bad way, but blows up in a great way. It explodes in growth, in impact. The church explodes in influence. And, and the, the religious Right, the, the Jewish leaders at that time in that place were losing their power base. There were too many people going to this new church. And so what happened is that they turned up the heat. Persecution intensifies. And leading the charge, leading what? This cause against the church, against Christ was this young and up-and-coming superstar, this stud on the rise. His name was Saul, a zealous Pharisee. He was a purebred, a pedigree, a gifted student, a brilliant scholar. He was well-read, he was well-spoken, well-respected, trained at the best schools with the best Teachers, We would call him in our world today a first-round pick. He's an influencer. He speaks, people listen. He's leading the attack against this movement, this, this movement, so-called Christianity, these followers of this one called Jesus, the Christ, the self-proclaimed Messiah, King of the Jews. Saul shouts, yeah, right, right. We'll teach them. Saul says, we will terrify them. We'll show them. We'll stone them. And that is exactly what happened. You see, one of the followers of Jesus, whose name was Stephen, he's described in the book of Acts as a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, a man full of grace and power. Oh, men, to have that description next to any one of our names. Any one of us to be described as a person full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, known as people who extend grace and live with power in His Spirit. This man, Stephen, was bold enough and brave enough to speak out and to preach boldly against the hypocrisy of the Jewish leadership, the religious rites of the day. He preached a message um, that made those that were listening to him, those Jewish leaders that were, that were spread throughout the crowd, 
Literally, it made them furious. It's described in Scripture in Acts chapter 7 that when they heard these things, they were enraged, and it says that they gnashed their teeth at him. I'm not quite sure what exactly that means. It just sounds like they're really, really, really angry. So what did they do? It says that they took him out of the city and they stoned him. They start with, with little rocks. They don't start with big rocks. Big rocks could knock him out. And erase the pain. They start with little rocks. So that it inflicts and cuts. They stone him to death. It says in, in Scripture that the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. If you've ever tried to throw a rock with a, a, a cloak on, a robe on, it, you, it doesn't work as well. And so you take off your, your cloak. Why? So it doesn't restrict your motion. And as they took off their coats, they threw them down at the feet of this one young stud, this up-and-coming influencer. Surely witnessing, surely Saul standing there witnessing someone who was willing to die for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ must have changed his mind, right? Surely someone who preaches with such clarity and, and fervor must have convinced him, right? Wrong. Acts chapter 8 opens with these words, and Saul approved of his execution. Acts chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. So what was it? What happened? What, what, what transpired? I want you to see these words yourself. Turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 9. And we begin. It, it says this in verses 1 and, and 2. This is what happened. This is what we need to know. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, but Saul still breathing threats and murder. Witnessed a horrific act approving of this. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Says he was en route to Damascus if he found any that were belonging to the way. That's what they called Christians, people who were belonging to the way, belonging to Jesus, who was known as the way, the truth, and the life. If he could find anyone who was belonging to the way, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The road from, from Jerusalem to Damascus is about a hundred and 50-mile ride. It would take about five to six days on a horse. And Saul obviously wanted to make good time because he was of an urgent matter. I can very easily imagine a, a nasty, nasty, cruel, dark look on his face and in his eyes as he kicks his horse on, his legs kind of thumping against the side. Not, not only does this man have a huge intellect, but it is coupled with 
fierce, fierce emotions, a fiery, hot temperament fused with an iron will. Together what? In a single hatred for Christians. Saul had watched the growth of, of, of these Christians, these people known as, as those of the way, and, and he saw it as a threat, as did the other religious leaders. The threat to his own religion. He knew that there, there could be no peaceful existence between the two, and, and so what? With unprecedented energy, he sets out to destroy this belief. The way. I, I can almost hear Saul shouting, yeah, that's right, I'll show them the way. I'll show them the way to hell for their belief. Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying, Paul, Saul was a great man, and I have no doubt that on the way to Damascus, he rode a very high horse. And we know what that's speaking of. His pride is a man that is not going to be reasoned with. He would not be placated by anyone. No one is going to have a profound impact upon this raving rebel. No one, like you and I, it had to be, it was going to have to be a supernatural meeting. It was going to have to be something bigger than any of us. The story continues on in Acts chapter 9. We pick it up in verses 3. Now, as he went on his way, heading to Damascus, it says, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Another translation reads like this. Suddenly a great light from heaven flashed around him. It almost sounds, it wasn't that long ago that we were celebrating Christmas. It sounds almost like a little bit of the Christmas story when the angels, what, in the darkness, kind of the, 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 the darkness of the night was pierced by angels. There's a, a suddenness, a, a shocking, terrifying light. What, what happened here? What, what changed? What, what moved Saul from being a terrorist to becoming a teacher of God's grace and love and mercy. It's offered through this one. What, what took place? Here's what happened. This is the central part of how we move from having our confidence in ourselves and our own works and our own righteousness and our own flesh and having confidence in the work of Christ. Here's what happened. Saul met Jesus. Saul met him. Right there on that road. He was riding that horse. And he was what? He was breathing threatenings and slaughter. And he was literally knocked off his horse to the ground. 
in a blinding light. Acts chapter 22, verse 6 tells us that this actually took place at noon. Noon is the time that what? When the sun is the highest and the, high, and, and the, the hottest and the brightest. And this meeting that took place at noon tells us what? That Jesus is brighter than the brightest thing ever. Phillips in his commentary says like this, One moment Saul of Tarsus is riding high, secure in his impenetrable armor of ironclad prejudices, breathing out threatening and slaughter, and the next moment he is prostrated on the ground, blinded by such a light as has never shone on earth, and listening to such a voice as has charmed the very angels of God. See, Saul up to this point had been committed to one thing, persecuting and putting to silence the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he had been committed to. For years, he had worked on that one purpose, one agenda, to eliminate and to annihilate anything and everyone that was of Christ or for Christ. You see, the reason is that when Jesus Christ had come, he lived as a complete antithesis to everything that Saul had taught and everything that Saul had believed. You see, you see, Saul was about the letter of the law. And we know it says in the Lord Jesus Christ's words in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. If Jesus comes to fulfill the law, then what? Then Paul's whole life is for naught is for nothing. You see, you see, when Jesus came, he blew everything up that Saul and many people were living by. Jesus, by his once and for all time sacrifice on the cross, he replaced what? Any and all works-based salvation. When Jesus literally nailed to the cross, cried out, it is finished. What happened? Literally, it says literally, the earth shook. The temple was rocked. And that curtain that separated a holy God from sinful man was torn from top to bottom. And from that moment onward, all of mankind was freed from their sin by the offering of grace and forgiveness and redemption through what? Faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means it nullifies our works, our goodness, our greatness. You see, when that light flashed, that bright light flashed, and Saul met Jesus, the light goes on in his own life, and he was never, ever, ever the same again. The first words out of his mouth blinded, lying flat on the ground, was what? Who are you, Lord? There it is. It translates, who are you, Master? Who are you, God? Who are you, Sir? And everything. This man was the man. He was the man. And now he finds himself in total submission to a holy God. From brashness, 
brashness to blindness. And the fight was over. And what, as always, God won. The once proud Pharisee, what? It says that he opened up his eyes and he saw nothing. It actually has a description that he was led by the hand into Damascus. Helpless. He remained there three days without sight. And it says during that time he neither ate nor drank. This is a man who has been completely humbled before the Lord. C.S. Lewis likened God's conquering work of Saul's rebel will to a divine chess player systematically and patiently maneuvering his opponent into a corner until he finally concedes. Checkmates. So this morning in closing we ask, we must ask, we must ask, what is your faith in? What are you trusting, resting, hoping? What are you boasting and bragging in? Yourself, your works, or the work of Christ, which then leads us to another question. Have you met Christ? Just like Saul did. Just like Saul did. Was there a moment? I don't know if we can say literally that you were knocked off of your horse. But was there a moment of complete surrender and submission in your life? Where you recognize, what well, my whole idea is more about the badges that I sew on my chest. My whole reason for living is about what are the medals to be hung around my neck or the diplomas to be put my wall, all of my living, all of my focus. Just, just do what? Unto others as you would have them do unto you. And leave it there. No, 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 no. That is a wonderful golden rule. But it's not going to get you to heaven for all of eternity. This morning, I invite you. If you have not met Jesus, which means you recognize the perfect life that he lived and the death that he died for you, paying the price for your sins, my sins, then I would invite you to put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus and receive him as your savior, the one who saves you from your sins through his finished work on the cross and surrender and submit to him as Lord. Lord, what is it you want me to do? And perhaps this day is the day that you change from what? Your agenda to God's agenda. Paul comes to a place that says what? That I count everything as rubbish. Actually, um, like the translation of some other Bibles that would say, I count them as dung. Ew. That's what it is. Our righteousness is a steaming hot pile of manure in the sight of God. Today I would make sure that you do not squander this moment, that you would put your faith in Jesus. 
nothing, nothing would make me more excited than, 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 than having someone ask a question. Any one of the elders, any one of the pastors, find someone as a greeter, a deacon, and say, how can I meet Jesus? It's interesting as well, it says in, in the latter part of Acts chapter 9, the men traveling with him stood speechless. There's others with Paul. They stood speechless. They, they were hearing the voice, but seeing no one. You realize that there's people today that they, they, they can hear. They can hear your own story, your own testimony about Jesus. They may not see him, but they can hear from you. As you tell your story of how you learned to put all of your faith and trust in the finished work of the Jesus. And, and, and may, we, may we shout of that story to others and rejoice and have confidence and joy in Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word to us this morning. God, I would ask that if there's someone here that does not know you, if there's someone here that's riding high on the horse of their own successes, may they be reminded, Lord, that it's going to end with the temporal life that we all live on this earth. But Lord, when we put our faith and trust in you, that only, that only then can our righteousness be your righteousness. That we look not on our own strengths we would look on your single strength we would look Lord not on our own good works but upon your great work Father may your spirit move may we surrender to you and to your word today we ask this in Christ's name I invite you to stand with us as we close. Sweetest friend. 